Hey everyone, welcome back. It's great to be here. And uh, a, a little bit has changed since the last episode. So my mouth is no longer killing me as badly, although I do have headaches uh, from having my wisdom teeth removed. Um, but now instead of taking ibuprofen four times a day, I'm just taking it once. So that's a huge improvement. Very grateful for that. It was difficult to sleep over the past like month and a half. I feel like I've gotten the kind of sleep that n like new fathers get when they when they have kids and they have to just like wake up in the middle of the night all the time. Except I don't have any of that responsibility, thank God. I would feel pretty badly if I had a child right now. I think that they would be already smoking cigarettes even if they were like seven years old. So I went to the dentist the other day for a, like, I guess for the final visit for them to take out the stitches. Um, I had all four removed at once. So there was quite a bit of pain. And then, you know, he did like a little bit of a check to make sure everything was okay. And um, I don't know anything about dentistry or oral surgery, but he was like, you know, one of the teeth was coming in at an angle and it wasn't like fully impacted yet. So we actually had to like cut around some bone. And I was like, oh, all right. And he was like, yeah, but you're going to be fine. I was like, okay, uh, when? He was like, you know, six weeks, maybe up to six weeks. I was like, okay, yeah, that's cool. Luckily the days are gone of me having to blend up my food. Like literally I was blending my food and just eating the nastiest shit. <laughs> like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm only saying that for my benefit, you know, to tell you that it's nasty. I'm just trying to fit in. Um, personally, I didn't mind it at all, but it was just like goop, just, you know, falafel mixed with uh, vegetables and some random meat alternative and some sauce. <laughs> and I would just blend it and then throw that onto a pan and cook it and eat it. It was, I thought it was pretty tasty, but you know, I, I want to fit in. So it was fucking disgusting. I'm going to be a pretty good old person, I think, for a number of reasons. So one of the main reasons is that I'm a pretty pleasant guy and, you know, society doesn't really like old people, but if old people are pleasant, then society tolerates them. So that's one reason I'm going to be a good older person. The other reason is that I already like eating mushy foods. So yeah, I'm not going to be like one of those old people that, you know, like my grandpa, for instance, one of those old people that needs everything to be perfect all the time. And I think that that will serve me. It'll go kind of hand in hand with me being tolerated by society. Oh, and what else? Uh, I also like being thrown out of my comfort zone. So 
if my family puts me into a retirement home, I'll probably use that as like a networking um, space and just try to use it as a chance to network with other old people. Yeah. So I, um, I decided that I'm going to do something pretty crazy. I'm going skydiving at some point in, in the spring. Um, I was thinking about doing it in March, but then I thought that's going to be cold as fuck. So then I thought about doing it in April, but then I was like, you know, it's really not that much warmer. So then I thought maybe like the end of May. Um, and then I'm also planning on going on one of those like big boy roller coasters. I hate roller coasters so much. Even if it were one of those smaller roller coasters where, you know, like the little kids go on and even they're not scared, I would probably still not be happy about it. Um, but I want to go on something like King Dakka. And even the thought of going on a roller coaster like that is making me start to sweat. Like I can already feel my body heating up. But um, those are just two things that I, I need to take care of this year just so I can get them off my chest. Um, because I just don't want to die knowing that I was a pussy. That would bother me quite a bit, I think. Also, like if I'm being honest, like I don't think either of those things are that much scarier. Like, I mean, they're scary to me, but it's subjective. But I think objectively, neither of those things is really that much scarier than just like trying to survive on a day-to-day basis. Like I was crossing the street the other day with my dog and um, this guy was turning right as I was like crossing the street and he just didn't see me or my dog. And he was in a smart car. And if I hadn't looked at him and noticed that he wasn't slowing down and pulled my dog and myself backwards, this dude would have fucking pancaked me. I mean, he was in a smart car, so like maybe he wouldn't have pain. Like maybe, maybe like my body weight would have like thrown things off a bit and maybe damaged his car. I don't know. I don't know like the physics. I don't know how much a smart car weighs. They look like the kind of vehicle that like if they hit a person and they weren't going fast enough, maybe the person wouldn't die. I don't know. My dog definitely would have died. And that seems like a little bit more dangerous to me than going on a roller coaster, for instance. So yeah, um, those are two things that I'm going to do. So yeah, uh, going back to my tooth my teeth, I was really surprised that they only gave me ibuprofen. I think like if I were in the States, they would have given me Vicodin or Percocet. Now you might be listening to this and saying, oh, you're such an exaggerator. And I would agree with you. One thing I will say though, is that when I was in seventh grade, I was experiencing like some of the worst symptoms of my Lyme disease. So I fought Lyme disease. Well, it makes it sound like cancer. I dealt with Lyme disease for like four years, um, undiagnosed. And it was pretty horrific. Like when I first got Lyme disease, I think I was at like the end of fifth grade and I was shooting a basketball from half court and I just kept shooting it and shooting it and shooting it, you know, just trying to like see how far I could shoot the ball. 
and I ended up tearing one of my pecs. I don't know if it was the right right one or the left one, but I didn't know that that's what had happened. I just felt this like tremendous pain in my chest and I couldn't breathe. And for like weeks, like maybe two weeks or so, I was trying to participate in gym class, but any time that I would like use my arms, especially like in a pushing motion, uh, I would like re-trigger it and just have to go to the bathroom. I remember just like hiding in the locker room during gym because I was in so much pain. And um, yeah, it got worse. Like one day I tried to, uh, I was opening one of my dresser drawers and when I went to go push it closed, like on my way to take a shower, I, I tore the other side like the other pec, because what Lyme disease does is it causes a tremendous amount of inflammation. So it, it actually is easier for, you know, things like that to happen if the area has been impacted by Lyme disease. And um, I had to go to physical therapy. I think this might've actually happened at the beginning of sixth grade, not the end of fifth grade. I'm not really sure. I mean, it was like a pretty long period of time, but I remember going to physical therapy for like three or four months before school. And I would have to go through like all of these exercises because my, both of my pecs had literally just been torn and had rolled up into like little balls in my chest, according to my, my PT. So yeah, that was tough. Um, and then in seventh grade, I was asleep one night and I wake up, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs I'm in so much fucking pain. I piss myself. Turns out my hip had forced itself out of the socket and it was just dangling. And so I like, I tried getting out of bed. I like swung my legs over, you know, like you normally get out of bed. And I was in so much pain. And eventually we went to the hospital. I think we went that, we went that night and my hip was just out of the socket, just hanging there. And the doctors were like, yeah, well, don't know how your hip got dislocated while you were asleep. And I remember they like swung me over, like I was in a gurney and they needed to do like an x-ray. So they wanted to like transfer me from the bed to the x-ray table. And I was on a sheet and both of the doctors tried lifting the sheet with me still on it so that they could just like kind of swing me over and they fucking dropped me so hard onto this metal bed. I don't know if it was for the x-ray or what, but yeah, I just remember they transferred me over to a metal bed and that shit hurt so badly. And then, um, that time, I think it was that time, it happened a few different times um, that my hips came out of the socket, but like they would stay out for like three weeks and the pain was so unbearable. So I think it was that time that they started giving me uh, Percocets. So I was like, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not really that funny. Like I'm, I'm laughing because it was my life and I think it's, I think it's funny now that I'm, now that I'm safe, but it's kind of demented. Like they just gave a child Percocets. So I was taking Percocets at age 11 
and I was being given half of one, I believe. And I was growing dependent on them because the pain that I was suffering from was so violent. Like sometimes, so like you have to imagine like um, both of my hips popped out of the sockets at different times. It was always unpredictable. One time I was sitting down at the dinner table, I was finishing up my pasta and I went to stand up. We used to have these like really uh, big chairs at the dinner table and they had like kind of like a leopardy print on them, but more in like a tasteful way, I'd like to think. Sorry, mom. <laughs> and um, I went to go stand up and I couldn't put my weight on my legs because my hips weren't in the sockets. So I was like trying to stand, but I couldn't stand and I was just in tremendous pain. So my brother ran over two houses down to Scotty's house. Scotty was like, uh, I don't know if he's still alive. Really nice guy. Shout out to Scott Bennett. He was a fireman and he called up the fire department and, and the EMTs came and the fire department and, and some firemen came. I think like two or three firemen came and some EMTs came. And the fireman actually picked me up out of my chair and carried me out the door and then put me onto a gurney. And, you know, as the fireman was picking me up out of my chair, I was like, please, no, 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 no. And I just started punching this, you know, grown man. <laughs> but I was, I was like 11 years old and I'm punching him and I'm like, stop, stop, stop. And I'm just like hitting the back of his neck and trying to punch him in the face so he would stop. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, they were giving me like Percocets. And I remember like there was one time that my mom, a friend of my mom's was a natural healer, like a pathologist homeopathic let's just say homeopathic healer and she comes over and she's like you know you don't really need pain medicine and i'm like you know this bitch is fucking crazy she has this like little white device it's like a little box and it has these like little buttons on it or like switches and she's like look if you like press these buttons these lights come on and then like your energy is being diverted or whatever I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, the pain medicine wore off like every five to six hours, I think. And I had taken it like that morning and she, she gets there in the afternoon. So like it's starting to wear off. And I'm just like going along with her stories and stuff. She's telling me that like when she was a kid, she had like telepathic abilities and stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she goes to the bathroom. And the minute that she goes to the bathroom and closes the door, I'm like, mom, mom, please. And my mom runs over to the um, Percocet and she gives me half and then the pain immediately melts away and I'm able to relax because sometimes when I would sit, like I would have these like little spasms where the hip would just start like shaking, even though it wasn't in the socket, it would just start spasming and that pain was just unbearable and I couldn't control it. So anyway. I'm surprised that in Germany, I did not get my Percocet or my Vicodin, but I'm also very grateful for that because I'm not a fan of taking medicine. I didn't even have ibuprofen at my house. Um, so when the doctor was like, oh, here's a prescription ibuprofen, I was like, oh, cool. In Germany, for context, you're probably thinking, why is there a prescription for ibuprofen? You can buy that in the States over the counter. Well, 
you don't do that in Germany. So you have to get a prescription for it. So yeah, that was my adventure over the past few weeks. Um, just really trying to get over this and, you know, it's pretty much like almost completely gone, but like there are moments like today, I just had such a headache from the pain in my jaw and yeah, it was good to, uh, to pop an ibuprofen because my head was just killing me. Um, but I think the pain shall be over soon. I hope. All right, so what else is going on in my life? Well, so many other so many other things. So I am still working on that side project and I've I've kind of realized something that I guess I did I never really appreciated when I was when I like when I was younger and I was you know going through these kinds of side projects and thinking like, oh, I'm going to turn this into a full-time thing in the future. Um, I, I hadn't really done them long enough or at least committed to them enough um, over a long enough period of time to really like go through the proper ups and downs. But now I've definitely gone through some downs and, you know, I've been like overeating a lot, I think just like stress and just, you know, fear and stuff like that, um, which is to be expected. I think like this is a pretty big undertaking, but I'm also coming to realize that, you know, as long as you continue to show up, even if you don't get as much done as you'd like on any given day, you're still creating a story about yourself that you can look back on, especially like at your, at your worst times. Um, and you can just look back on this story and just say, well, you know, yeah, I wasn't maybe doing as much as I would have liked to have done but it wasn't like I just threw away the past week or something. Like I still went um, to the office and I still got stuff done. I actually got a WeWork membership uh, a couple weeks ago because I just like the idea of being around cute girls uh, while I work. So that's why I got that. Now, actually the real reason I got it is I wanted to just be, I wanted to hold myself more accountable and I think that there's something really special about going to a place where other people are working and kind of just tapping into that collective energy. I wish that there was like, I wish that there were university libraries that were just like for adults, not students. And now you're probably like, okay, that's the stupidest shit you've ever said because you could just go to a regular library. But that's not true. So... Going to a regular library, especially in the States, I always feel like it's really strange, like the people that go to libraries. Like on one hand, I'm convinced that most people that go to libraries aren't even going to read books. I just have this like idea that people that go to libraries are either going there to try to watch porn on the computers or they're like, you know, trying to carry out terrorist attacks against the U.S. government. Those are the two use cases for libraries in the States. Um, now, I guess I should also say I have spent time <laughs> at the library in the States, and I have not done either of those things really, really, really quick. I just needed to say that. 
you know, I've gone to the library to get books when I was living in Bloomfield, New Jersey, but I wasn't like hanging out at the library. Um, I, I just really miss like having university, like the University of Michigan's library um, because, you know, there were just so many different areas that you could go and work and there was this like collective energy that you could always tap into. Like there was always somebody that you could find no matter how late it was, who was working on something similar. There was one night that I was working on a study guide for my final uh, for a political science class. And it was like three in the morning. And I look over um, as I'm in the undergraduate library and I see this kid, I recognize him from the same class. And so I asked him like, hey, are you, are you working on the study guide for the class? And he's like, yeah. And we stayed, shout out Matt, first of all, shout out Matt, this kid, we stayed up until the test. So it was like two or three o'clock in the morning and we stayed up studying until like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, whenever the class was. We went to the final together. <laughs> we fucking crushed the final. I got an A. I think he got an A as well. And... um yeah, just, I mean, we don't talk anymore, but when we were at college, we became friends and that's like the thing I miss is like, you don't really see that kind of, you don't get those kinds of people unless you look for those kinds of people. And I, I really just don't believe that you get those in like public libraries. I would imagine that the people that are staying there until really late are either doing the nefarious things that I mentioned, uh, maybe they're their spouses. I mean, I'm imagining most public libraries, it's just men. I don't know why, but it's just men who have been like kicked out of the house by their moms or their spouses. And they're just like at the library because they can, they can get in there um, and stay until closing. So anyway, quick plug to WeWork. Now I watched the show We Crashed on HBO Really good show. Honestly, it makes you root against Adam Newman for sure. But now that Adam Newman's not responsible for WeWork and is no longer associated with the brand, and WeWork is actually, you know, leaning into it being a co working space as opposed to a tech company, I really think that they are the best option out there. I pay like 300 bucks and I get access to WeWorks all over the world. And I'm definitely going to take advantage of those um, as I continue to travel and see new places. So, yeah, and some of them have showers and you can always grab good coffee and water. And But I think the most important thing is that you're around other like-minded people that also want to work. And that's the reason that I that I signed up for it. And I just find that, you know, working on this side project, it's just about showing up. Like today on my day off, I, I, oh yeah, so today's Monday and I took the day off so I could watch the Super Bowl. I was going to stay up late and watch it, but I decided against doing that. So I just woke up at like, you know, 6.50, really slept in this morning. Kind of crazy, I know. Went through my morning routine and then I watched the Super Bowl from like 9, 9-ish until like uh, noon. And... um I I was just going to take the day off, right? So I was kind of like prepared 
to have some leisure. But the minute that I was done with the Super Bowl, I, you know, just packed up my backpack and I went to WeWork for a few hours. And then when I came home, I ate a disgusting amount of uh, potato, not potato chips, tortilla chips and lentil chips that I put into a bowl. And then I don't even want to get judged right now. I threw them into a bowl and then I, <laughs> then I put cheese on them, like uh, vegan cheese. And then I threw like tomato sauce on them. And then I threw soup on them. Now, okay, I know it sounds disgusting, but the soup is more of like, um, okay, whatever I say, you're not gonna, you're not gonna accept and or appreciate it. But it was like a Mediterranean soup, and it was pre-made, and so it was, it was more like a sauce, or like a dip than a soup, really. If I'm being honest, it's pretty thick. So I tried to make like a Super Bowl. Um, dip but i wasn't watching the super bowl anymore i was watching netflix so i watched a movie on netflix called the burbs and it was okay and then when i was done i was like all right i'm gonna get some more side project stuff done and that is what i did i got some stuff done it was like small steps but it's it's just important to get it you know to, to put in the effort and to get stuff done it's not really um a matter of you know, conquering every single day. I think when you get into this mindset, like if you're somebody that wants to be an entrepreneur and you're going through these um, steps just like me, I think you'll get to a point where you'll, if you're not already there, you'll understand. Like you can't be on 100% of the time. I mean, maybe you can be, but if you're, you know, like a normal person, you're probably not going to be on 100% of the time but if you can show up and just give like 25% effort on a day that you want to give 0% effort, it's still a victory and you might still walk away feeling pretty fucking good about yourself. So that's what happened to me today. I felt pretty good. I got like 20,000 steps in, which is still not enough to, you know, out train how bad my diet's been. And, you know, I've been stress eating like crazy recently. Um, even after I, I realized that I was like putting on extra weight. Um, part of it is that I have not gone to the gym since like a day or two before my surgery. So about two weeks, I haven't gone to the gym. Um, and I think I'm, I think I'm ready to go back. I think I'm going to go back tomorrow and, you know, get back into things. I think that what I'm going to do though, is like focus more on, uh, running a couple days a week because I miss it and it's a good excuse to spend money on new shoes. And then I will, yeah, just like run two or three days a week and then lift two or three days a week. So yeah, that's kind of uh, where things are right now. And the reason that I felt compelled to make today's podcast is like, it's so easy, I'm speaking from experience, it's so easy to, you know, just come on here and say everything that makes me look good. You know, I could tell you guys that like I woke up this morning at five o'clock and I did a hundred push-ups, and then I went through my morning routine and then I, you know, I made a hundred cold 
uh, cold calls to potential clients for my side project. And then, uh, and then I had like a mini, um, yeah, a mini, I went to a mini networking event for dog owners in Berlin who want to focus on digital marketing. And like, you know, I never, I never have moments of doubt. I never feel, uh, overwhelmed. I never stress eat. Like I could tell you guys everything that you would want to hear. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people that I'm sure do it. I don't want to call people out, but like being realistic about being human just doesn't seem like it's as popular and I'm not perfect. I mean, based on what I eat, (laughs) based on like me eating mushy ass food with my teeth being all fucked, uh, that should probably be enough of a signal that I'm not a perfect person. And then putting potato chips or, you know, tortilla chips and lentil chips into a bowl and then putting soup and sauce and a bunch of other random shit like olives, like a pregnant woman, like my cravings are fucking crazy and throwing that into the microwave and then eating it with a fork probably should also be enough uh, reason to believe that I'm not perfect. And I don't want to be perfect. I mean, that would fucking suck if I were perfect. But maybe I'm only saying that because I'm not perfect and also because I don't really know how to fit in. Um, I don't know if you, I mean, if you're American, you definitely know what I'm about to reference. But like, if you're not American, maybe you don't know. You know, like those sitcoms um, from like when you're growing up, like Full House, Drake and Josh, all of those sitcoms have an episode where one of the characters tries to fit in with the popular kids. And they just, you know, do something that is just really douchey to their friends because they know that their friends aren't going to be accepted by the popular kids, but they want to be. So, um, Hey Arnold has an episode like that. Drake and Josh has an episode like that. Saved by the Bell has an episode like that. Full House has an episode like that. I'm sure Boy Meets World does. Um, I'm sure Fresh Prince Prince of Bel-Air does. Like, it's just a common episode. Every single sitcom probably has this. So, you know, when you're like a kid and you're seeing this stuff, I'm sure that like every kid who saw this, you know, had that same moment in um, elementary, middle or high school where they thought, okay, if I just do this thing, I'll fit in, you know? So like maybe like the popular kids come over and they say something and then you act all cool and then you become a popular kid. Uh, I... I think I was presented with this challenge like twice, twice in my childhood, maybe more, probably more. Um, one time this kid, Brian in eighth grade uh, or, or seventh grade, he was sitting next to me and he was like an up and coming popular kid. Uh, kids liked him. He was very funny and really chill because I think he was already smoking uh, weed. And we were sitting next to each other and I perfectly imitated this girl that was like sitting in front of us. I like copied her voice in a way that to this day, I'll never forget like how perfect it was. And I made fun of her. Like I said something in her voice pretending to be her. And then she actually said the same exact thing like seconds later. But I don't remember what it was. It was just like something that she commonly said. And so if I had just stopped then, Brian would have brought me into the fold. I'm 100% convinced. 
but I didn't know and I still don't really know how to like shut the fuck up. So I just kept like joking around and eventually I like wasn't funny. I was like a stand-up comedian who uh, runs out of material and is, you know, not ready to get off the stage. So Brian just thought I was annoying. And then, you know, uh, there have been other times as well where like, you know, there there was a possibility like maybe the popular kids were like, oh, you can sit at our table. Actually, that never happened. But, you know, let's just for the sake of hypothetical situations on podcasts, assume that that happened. I just never really knew what to say that would make me fit in. I always felt like I was like an alien, which, you know, has definitely has its advantages um, in terms of just being, you know, unapologetically myself. But I was never really able to like figure out like what's the right thing to say in any in any situation. So um, <laughs> if you're like me and you feel that way as well, I'm hoping that that makes you feel more acceptable uh, or appreciated because I appreciate you if that's if that's something that you can understand. Um, what I've learned throughout, you know, my life is that the older we get, the more us being ourselves acts as a beacon for other people that are like us to connect with us. And so my feeling on the matter is like, as I continue to get older, if I'm, you know, I mean, I can't really change, like I can't fit in. So I just say weird shit and then people eventually find me and they're like, oh, hey, I'm also a weird fuck. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Um, so I've found like really authentic people that I love in my life as a result of just being myself. So fuck you sitcoms. You'll, <laughs> I wish I had learned from you um, how to be popular for one year of high school, but I did not. And uh, <laughs> I actually like to think that most people that end up uh, striving to be successful just had like, you know, really shitty high school experiences. Like, I'm sure if you look at anybody, almost anybody that's extremely successful or wants to be extremely successful, you know, they have this like chapter of their lives where things weren't good. And then they just said, I never want to feel this way again. And I'm going to do things differently so that I can avoid feeling that pain or whatever it is. Um, so how did I get here in this conversation? That's a really good question. I actually don't know. I don't remember. But um, let's try to see if I can dig myself out of this hole because I don't really remember where, when I started digging it. Hmm. Well, speaking of digging holes, the movie that I watched today on Netflix is called The Burbs, and it's a movie from 1989 with Corey Feldman, who was one of the two Corys. If you're American and you're around the age of 30, You'll probably know what I mean when I say the Corys. It's like two actors that were named Corey. I don't remember the other Corey's name. But yeah, they were like a sensation during the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, so one of the Corys was in that movie. And then there, you know, the, there was like creepy neighbors that were digging holes in the backyard at night and stuff. And that's why I just thought of how do I dig myself out of this hole? Um, speaking of the two Corys... There is a movie that I recommend to anybody. I think probably like women wouldn't like typically wouldn't enjoy this movie because it's pretty much like an 80s 
Um, I wanted to say like a bro flick or a bromance flick, but I don't really know if you could call it that. It's like a softcore horror movie from the 80s that kind of highlights the things that were considered cool in the 80s. It's called The Lost Boys. And it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And one of the Corys is in it. Actually, I think both Corys are in it. Now that I now that I think about it. Anyway, I highly recommend it. It's called The Lost Boys. Um, <laughs> it's just one of those movies that you watch. And you either love it. And you think about it like two times per year. And smile when you think about it. Or you hate it immediately and you want to turn it off. Something I've noticed about being in relationships uh, over the years is like, I actually have not met a girl that likes movies that are older than like 10 years or 15 years. That's a huge stereotype. So if you're a woman listening to this and you like older movies that are from the 90s and the 80s and the 70s and the 60s, then I'm sorry because I haven't met you yet probably, or we have met and you haven't told me this. So um, I'm just operating on the limited information that I have. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely tricky when you're dating girls and you want to watch movies because like I'm all for watching rom-coms. I actually am a huge fan of them. But one thing that I always have to warn girls about is that I cry at the end of pretty much any movie. Um, or at least like most movies. So the things that make me cry are moments where I'm just extremely happy. Like I love happy endings. And I, oh, wow. Let me, I'm going to get fucking, that's how you get canceled. Somebody just clips out that Macklin loves happy endings. Well, let's not go into that, into that topic right now. Um, I like movies that have happy endings in them. And I always cry at the end of those movies. And yeah, I also cry in sports movies a lot. Um, I actually almost cried. <laughs> I almost cried while watching the Super Bowl because at the very end, you know, you see all the players and they're all emotional and I'm like tearing up and stuff. Um, I think if the Cowboys had played, I would have cried for sure. I probably would have cried because the Cowboys would have probably lost that would have just, you know, been sad to see. But if they had won, I definitely would have cried. All right. So um, I always have to warn girls that when I'm when I'm hanging out with them and watching a movie, I'm like, yo, there's a high chance that I'm going to be tearing up. Oh, also, on a side note, um, you know, it's a really easy way to get yourself in trouble with your girlfriend, guys. Uh a really easy way to get yourself in trouble with your girlfriend is to be one of those guys that are like me that cries at the end of movies, but then be unable to actually show your emotions in the relationship in that same kind of way. So like something I've heard over and over and over and over and over again in the past is like, Macklin, it's crazy that you're able to cry while watching a happy movie, but you can't cry when we're having like a really serious conversation that's like emotional it's like you're a robot i don't understand why you're not crying well it's simple i'm going to explain it 
And hopefully my future wife will listen to this episode one day because one of my douchebag friends will share this specific part of the episode. And um, this will probably cause some kind of fight in the future. But anyway, let me just, and by the way, none of my friends are douchebags. I was only joking. If you're one of my friends, you know, I love you. So um, yeah, uh, in the future, one of my girlfriends is going to, or my wife is going to listen to this episode. And, you know, the key to making me cry in a movie is the combination of kind of a montage not like a fight montage where like a guy, you know, or, or a girl trains like million dollar baby. See, um, I know movies where women fight. Um, it's not like the fight montages, but more like um, a moment in a movie where there's just music and there's no dialogue. And it's happy music or it's uplifting music. And then the char- the main character is crying, um, either tears of joy or tears of sadness or something that usually makes me cry. It's usually the music and the fact that there's like no audio and you know, you're kind of just like really watching and feeling. (laughs) So I think the solution to me not crying in relationships is like, if I, if, if I'm having a serious conversation with my girlfriend that I don't have, she just has to put on like a Spotify playlist of uplifting epic music and then tell me, you know, the thing that she's feeling. And then when she's done talking and she's crying or whatever is happening, she just puts the music louder and stops talking. And then I get to like really experience that moment as though it were a movie. I think that could actually work. So I was laughing about it, but now that I actually like, Gave it a little bit of thought. Maybe that's what I should do in the future when I have serious conversations with my girlfriends and my wives. <laughs> I'm probably only going to have one wife at a time, uh, but I don't want to make any promises in case they change my mind. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, wow, this is really... I, I'm, I learn a lot about myself uh, through these podcasts. So, you know, with that, I think I'm going to jump off uh, my balcony And I hope to see you guys in the next episode. And, you know, as far as like the format of these podcasts, just to kind of give you some context and a little bit of a roadmap, what I'm trying to do with these is get to a place where like, I understand the mechanics of operating a podcast, uh, become like much more comfortable with the idea of just, yeah, sharing and talking, whatever developing some of these skills and then eventually getting to a place where I can bring on some really interesting guests and maybe have like more of a structured approach. But I really do like the idea of just keeping it pretty chill, unstructured. It's like you're sitting here and you're my therapist and, uh, and you're doing it for free. So thank you for joining. Yeah. If you have any suggestions for me, please feel free to hit me up on WhatsApp or messages. If you know me in person, if you don't know me in person, you can hit me up at Macklin at MacklinBuckler.com. You can hit me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, probably find me on a bunch of other channels as well. Where you won't find me is Facebook or Instagram or OnlyFans. So, yeah. Alrighty. Uh, have a great week. I hope that it's uh, one of those weeks that you look back. 
and you're just proud of it, you know, for one reason or another, or it's memorable for a good reason. Maybe because of this podcast. Maybe not. Who knows? All right. I love you. I hope you have a nice one and talk to you soon. Peace.